You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. You're listening to Metamorphosis, a podcast designed to help medical students navigate their medical careers. My name is Crystal. And my name is Ema. On today's episode, we will be chatting with Dr. Christopher Ng, a generalist obstetrician gynecologist working in Langley with an interest in family planning and medical education. Thanks so much for joining us today on the show, Dr. Ng. Thank you for having me. It's appreciated. And so just to kick off the episode, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself generally and then also what it's like to be working as an obstetrician gynecologist. Sure, sounds good. So I was, I was born and raised in Vancouver. Uh, and uh, I grew up in a fairly traditional Chinese household and I went into medicine for all the wrong reasons. I was told at a very young age this was the path to go and my sister was, became a doctor four, four years before me. Uh, but I eventually went to UBC for my undergrad in biochemistry and then went to Toronto for my medical school. And I think that's where my eyes were opened because I went in complete, undifferentiated, very cynical and I came out of it thankfully having found a lot more idealism and a, and a bit of passion, which is awesome. And I'm quite privileged to be where I am. Uh, so then after Toronto, I went to UBC for residency. And since then, I, I had a brief stint. I spent two and a half years in Kelowna, and I've spent uh, the last four years in Langley, uh, where I practice as a community uh, obstetrician gynecologist. So we kind of do everything from deliveries, OR, seeing patients in office, and I've also had a couple of side interests in abortion care, family planning, as well as medical education. So it seems like you've had a lot of time to travel across Canada. You've spent time on the East Coast and the West Coast. And it seems like your medical journey has uh, really uh, seen a lot. So can you tell us a little bit about why you ended up choosing uh, obstetrics and gynecology? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, again, I went into to med- to medical school thinking, actually, I'm just going to become a family doctor and just move on. That's what my, my, my parents wanted me to do. And I, I had a couple of uncles that were along that stream. Um, and I think one of the coolest things about medicine is there's so many different fields and facets you can go into. And you can almost always find something that you can become passionate about. And one of the things I always talk to students about is you want to decide and figure out what are results that matter for you personally. There's infinite ways you can help different people, and, and there's no way you shouldn't really categorize one as better than the other. But you want to start thinking about who you want to help and, and, and what kind of results are meaningful for you. And in Toronto, one of the greatest things about the U of T program is that there's a lot of opportunity to really pursue your interests. Well, they had two really good programs. One was a program where they actually sent medical students into high schools and elementary schools to teach sexual health education. And, and really, that's where you you see the impact, you see the fact that this is something that's not taught well. You know, coming from a fairly conservative Chinese background, we never talked about any of this, this family planning stuff. Uh, it, you know, I could probably still make my younger sister blush by mentioning the word vagina. Um, and you, you had a chance to really educate people and make a big difference in their life. Uh, and so that got me interested in more of the, the sexual health and contraception side. And it's really not until I sort of went into clerkship where it really opened my eyes at how much of a difference we can guiding patients through really difficult times and being alongside of them in a journey that's quite scary. Uh, and then I basically fell in love to the point where I just applied just to gynecology programs and I actually did not back up with family practice, which is a very horrible choice. I would not recommend it, but that's how far my, my passion went. 
Wow, that's really interesting. I think you're one of the few people that I've spoken with that were 100% kind of Obsgein right from the start and, and knew what you wanted. Um, were there any other contenders at all as you went through or was it fairly certain for you once you found uh, this field that that's what you wanted? I think family practice plus obstetrics is always a, a very close second. And I think that anyone who's thinking about a specialty really needs to take a close look at, and think about that because uh, there are a lot of benefits to being in family plus OB. And I'm sure we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, along the way, you know, you get influenced by a lot of mentors. And another piece of advice I always mention to people is don't listen to other people. <laughs> along the way, you're going to have various staff people. I remember this great urologist uh, at Sunnybrook who took me aside, took me out for coffee, said, you know, Chris, you'd make an excellent urologist. And I, you know, be happy to support you. And, th and that, that's very flattering. But the honest answer is that you guys are all exceptional. You, got the, you guys can make excellent whatevers. That's, that's not the point. Um, so you really have to think about sort of what you do best. You want to figure out what kind of work that you kind of love and then what matters to you and then make that decision there. Thank you for sharing your wisdom about that. I feel like as first years, um, especially if you come in as an undifferentiated medical student, everything seems so lovely and it's really hard to decide so early on, but thank you so much for sharing that wisdom. Um, I know you mentioned a little bit about family plus OB being really similar to obstetrics and gynecology, but uh, many students also, I think, feel pulled to um, child health as well as reproductive health. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that and how that differs, how obstetrics and gynecology differs from pediatrics. Uh, that's a really good question. People, people think there's actually a fair overlap between the two, and I'd actually argue it's, it's completely different. Um, I have the privilege slash horror of working alongside my sister, who's a pediatrician in the same hospital. In fact, we delivered babies last night, attending <laughs> <laughs> the same, you know, so it's, it's very different. Uh, I think, you know, as we talk about sort of what draws me to obstetrics is uh, I love the, the fact that for the most part, we have fairly happy outcomes. Um, and you know, you know, we we brought babies into the world last night. You know, we delivered a couple of babies last night. You know, we took out a uterus on Friday that was causing someone to hemorrhage to death. It's very concrete wins. And and I think when I went through my pediatric rotations, I you know we spent time with sick kids where they see the sickest children. And I remember watching a, a young man die or a young kid die, and that was horrific for me. Um, I don't I don't tend to like sad things, and unfortunately, most of medicine is full of sad things. Whereas our field, for the most part, is generally happy. Although there are some very horrific things that can happen. Um, no, but I think it's worth exploring. I think you know, is that that? Yeah, I think it's also a young population that where you can make a huge difference and huge impacts, and certainly it draws some really amazing professionals to go into that. Um, one of my friends is a pediatric oncologist, and she has so much kindness and grace. Uh, I could never do her job, just like she probably could never do mine. <laughs> There's also the surgical aspect as well, which I think my sister would never want to. I offered her to scrub yesterday because our, our family doctor was pulled up in a different delivery and asked if she wanted to scrub with me, and she certainly declined that. That's a great segue because I was curious to ask more about, um, like, obstetrics and gynecology is interesting because you work with, obviously, both of those kind of fields like those key terms and so I'm wondering what that split looks like in your practice now and has that changed throughout your career? I think as a journalist there's, there's the opportunity for so much variety and you know I think you know in a lot of these these these, these podcasts that you have is people talk about the medical surgical split 
And you need to decide really early on, am I just gonna abandon surgery or am I gonna do some procedures or not? And I don't think that's true. You know, obstetrics is sort of a classic for that where you are both a medical professional as well as a surgeon. Um, and, and there's also a thing, a bit like a family, family a procedural uh, specialties also do that as well. Um, so I, I think in terms of my split, everyone has their own bias. I personally love obstetrics. That's sort of where a lot of my passions lie. So that's why I did compare it to family plus obstetrics. Whereas other people may have said, I'm drawn towards the surgical aspects and have thought about other specialties such as urology. Um, so I, I like the variety. I, I'm someone who, I, office days are not my favorite days. We talk about finding, loving your work. So it does, you know, you time passes and, and you know, you basically, you look at it and then the day and the clock is it's already five o'clock. Uh, office days are not that for me. I actually try to make sure I live in my office days about two days a week. So typically we'll spend about two days in the office, uh, one day in the operating room, one or two days on call. Uh, and then, you know, and I, I typically will, will take about one day off, a couple of days off a month. And we'll talk about balance a little bit later on. Um, but you know, I, I thrive on that variety. I'm really curious as someone who gets mixed up by the definitions for obstetrics and gynecology. Uh, I know they're two very different um, fields, but they share some commonalities. Can you kind of tell us about the, the definitions of those two words? Okay, now you're asking hard questions. Uh, obstetrics really typically is the care of uh, pregnant patients, um, whereas gynecology is really referring to any of the, the female reproductive organs that's there. Uh, in Canada, it's very interesting. We draw the line at the breast. I don't do breast exams, I can't help you. Whereas in the States, and a lot of countries, gynecologists actually do with breast care as well and breast cancers. Um, but for me, that's where we draw the line. So, and, and, and gynecology can span such a wide, Fields, right? You, you start about start even starting from pediatric gynecology, dealing with contraception, dealing with with pain, chronic pain and pain syndromes, dealing with cancers, and there's so many different fields to go into, and that's why we have so many different subspecialties that you can select. Um, and even in obstetrics, again, there's there's a lot of it's routine, but there's also the the weird and fantastical, and that's where people like Tracy Pressy and the MFM team do such an amazing job. So, yeah, thank you for that overview. I think that really helps kind of frame the field and since we did you know you kind of brought it up a few times here uh, about the family practice plus one for obstetrics what are kind of the fundamental differences and why would you think someone might be more inclined to choose one versus the other I mean, I have the privilege of working with a lot of family doctors. In fact, we, we highly are encouraging family doctors to incorporate obstetrical care into their practice. It doesn't have to be a full formal year. There's lots of great programs from the government to help encourage you work alongside another physician, for example, and they'll actually pay for both your deliveries to get experience when you first come out. And I, I have the privilege of working with some of the best full service family practice doctors in Langley and Kelowna. Um, family practice has a lot of really good pros, right? So but as I talk about some of the downsides of, of obstetrics, we talk about a difficult residency program. We talk about the fact that you can't just get a job wherever you like. You have, you're tied to a hospital based on where you can get privileges and operating room time. Family practice has that benefit that you can really work wherever you want uh, and join whatever group that you want. Um, secondly, you get a couple of years of your life back. And for some people, that makes a huge difference. If, if you know, you've got a young family and, and that's a big priority for you, that is important. I'd also, on the counter side, I'd say that, you know, you think that this is, you're in medical school right now. This is like the hardest and most important time of your life. As you get further and further distance, you realize that was such a small part of your life. 
And I would never say that you should not choose to do a, 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 a rural college specialty just because you want to get those three years back because your working career is going to be 30 years and, and, you know, and, and finding something you truly enjoy is going to be so much more important. Um, for me, big differentiators between family practice obstetrics and me as an obstetrician is, is the big question you have to ask yourself is, do you want to be responsible and do you want to be there for your patients throughout their entire labor process? One of the, the seminal moments for me was, was uh, doing an elective of a family, uh, family practice obstetrician and there, there was a retained placenta and the, and the patient was hemorrhaging. And, you know, I remember we were losing blood pressure. She basically, we couldn't obtain a blood pressure. And we're sitting there waiting because the obstetrician was tied up in the operating room. And that feeling of helplessness somewhat scared me. And, and I want to be able to take care of almost anything that, that my patient needs. Um, and some people don't want that. Some people don't, don't like that kind of responsibility and it scares the crap out of them. And that's fine too, right? Um, but for me, that's something that I really wanted to do. Second thing is I like being a content expert. I, I, like, I love the mysteries of medicine, diving in, understanding things, uh, understanding why th we, we do things or what the evidence is. And as a family practice uh, physician, you can't do that. The breadth of knowledge that you need to know is so broad. I, I don't envy our family practice colleagues. They have to learn so much. I have a very narrow field and I like being the master of my narrow field, which is nice. Thank you for touching a little bit on that, like knowing a little bit about everything versus knowing everything about a little. I'm not sure if I said that right. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely correct. And that's a decision people have to make. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what goes into the Opskine residency. I know you mentioned that surgery is part of what you do and can you touch a little bit about what you did, uh, what the lifestyle was like? And you mentioned it was a little bit grueling and rough, and you could talk about that too. Sure, sounds good. Well, you know, I'd I love to stand here and go, you know, look, you guys should all pick obstetrics and gynecology because it's a great lavish lifestyle, you know, so relaxing. Um, or if you're one of those speakers that you've had that are like, oh, I love every day of my residency. No. I mean, I, I think almost every single obstetrics and gynecology resident has the day where they're sitting at home crying, going, what am I doing in my life and why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> uh, so I think the biggest thing is that the first year of residency starts off fairly undifferentiated, that you do some core work within your program, but in general, you get a chance to do a rotating internship. And that's an amazing opportunity because even if you, you go into medical school or residency knowing exactly what you want to do, and there's nothing else you're ever going to do, you can still get a lot out of your various rotations. Just like even when I have a dermatology resident come join me, there's lots of stuff in obstetrical dermatology that they can learn about. So you start generally rotating, which is awesome. It also helps you make friends that are not in obstetrics and gynecology. I will say that having your, being friends with your fellow office guide is great, but when you're doing one in four call, typically one of you guys is post-call or on-call or pre-call and you're all miserable and burned out. So it's nice sometimes to have some more relaxed friends are just available to you and so you, don't, you can just de-stress a little bit. The second year is where you get your core obstetrical training, and that's the hardest year. Um, so that's basically where you, at least at the UBC program, you work through uh, women's, uh, Royal Columbian, uh, St. Paul's, and BGH. Uh, and that's that grueling one in four call, and it just takes a fairly large toll on you. I would say that, you know, every residency is hard, you know, that, that, that goes without saying, and, and they're hard in different ways. I think that it's not necessarily the knowledge part that's hard. It's just the time and the grueling, you know, it's, it's hard to maintain your spirits in reserve when you're on call that much. 
That being said, you know, people do, we all survive in the end, right? Uh, once you get past second year, you move into sort of more of the subspecialties, you get a chance to dive into some of the, the deeper, more uh, intellectually fascinating aspects of, of our field. Uh, continues into fourth year, and then in fifth year, you really work on your core surgical competencies as the chief uh, residence and operate a lot more and prepare yourself for, for moving on to actual practice when they basically leave you alone and they tell you that no one else is going to come save you, so you better get your way out of this yourself. Thanks for covering that. Uh, I think one thing I've always wondered about residency is kind of the call schedule, like you said, but it kind of sounds like it's something you have to push through almost. And do you think that's something that, because you did mention that, you know, no one should necessarily think too strongly about gaining those three years of your life again, but is something like a, a intense call schedule something that people should consider when pursuing uh, a certain field or is it kind of just a necessary step to become uh, kind of an attending i think you know you do have to know what you do best and what your strengths are um, this is a field where you have to have a fair bit of energy. Like I love staying up at night. I, you know, back when I was younger, you, you'll feel the age as you, as you get further along. But I used to be able to do, you know, 72 hours call. You do 24 hours and you still go back for more. And that wasn't a problem. Uh, as you get older, it does get a bit, a bit harder. Um, so I think, you know, you have to figure out what your strengths are and whether that's something you think you can handle. One of my best friends coming out of medical school is an amazing family doctor, very passionate. But I remember doing internal medicine uh, rotations and being clerk and he'd be snoring in front of the staff during morning rounds. He just could not stay awake. And obviously he's chosen not to do a specialty where he could do call. Um, so you do have to know yourself a little bit. And even then, we, I, one thing, the piece of advice is you have to prepare yourself for residency, letting your supports know, letting your partner know that this is going to be a tough time. This is just, this is, this is just a season. It will pass and I need your support during this time and know that I still value, I may not be able to spend as much time, but I still value all my supports and, and they will help see you through it. Thanks for sharing that wisdom. I think, uh, I guess we're done first year, so technically we're in second year, but residency just seems so far off, but um, it's really important for us, I think, to start thinking about our support systems now. Um, and I was also wondering, so you mentioned that um, there is a split between obstetrics and gynecology. So when you're going through residency, do you, when is it that you decide how much of a split you want your practice to be? Does there have to be a split? I know you mentioned you can focus on one or the other. How does that work after you're done? I think that's a. I think it's important as you get through, you get a sense of what you really enjoy. Um, as a generalist, you really have to be able to do both. Uh, outside of a couple of major urban centers where people only do obstetrics, really, you need to, when you're on call, you need to be able to deal with not just what's happening on the labor floor, but also what comes in through your emergency. So I think a topic on Friday that you have to be able to do that. Um, so I think as if you choose a general stream after the, so after your five years, you need to be able to maintain both sets of skills, especially if you decide to move further away from an urban center. Um, but during that process in residency, you might find that you're drawn to more of a, a subspecialty, for example. I love maternal fetal medicine. I love that medicine aspect and understanding disease processes, as well as I found it tremendously valuable being able to guide women through really difficult diagnoses, similar to what Tracy Pressey finds a lot of enjoyment in. Some people say, I don't like obstetrics. I want to do, I want to help people with cancer. I want to become uh, uh, one of the best surgeons I can be. I can handle anything. And I, I'm going to go into gynecology. 
or I, I want to help people who are struggling with fertility or vulvar disease. And there's so many different avenues, even within the specialty, to help you tailor your practice. Um, so as, but those often require fellowships and subspecialty training. Whereas if you are a generalist, you do have to be interested enough that you're willing to do both aspects. So that is important going into this is a medical surgical residency and, and, and field. Um, so you do have to like both. So some surgical specialties, it seems, are heading in a direction where fellowships seem more or less required. Is uh, obstetrics and gynecology one of those, or is it kind of exceptional in that way? It is somewhat exceptional, but I, I, I cannot foresee where the field is going. I would say that we are lucky enough to still be one of the surgical specialties where you can get a job in an urban center with just a generalist five-year residency. There is a interesting conundrum that we're facing of where our field is heading. In, for example, in the U.S., a lot of obstetricians, gynecologists do not do a lot of surgery because you have to do a fellowship to, before you're allowed to operate there. And the honest answer is I feel my surgical field is narrowing because I know that a subspecialist can do a procedure better than me. A urogynecologist is a classic example that I know truly that my patient is probably better off in their hands. Someone who just does this one procedure, does it incredibly well. Um, and I think there's going to be an interesting push, especially with dwindling operating room times. I think that's a constant conundrum you see in major academic centers like BC Women's where there are so many obstetrician gynecologists, you get OR time every three to four weeks where I'm privileged enough that I'm in the operating room at least once a week uh, in Langley, which is great. So it's a great way to get a lot of experience that way. Um, but no, it is something that factors in, right? If you want to be, for example, in Toronto and you want an academic position in one of the downtown hostels, you're probably going to need a fellowship. Um, so that's, that is one of the challenges you have to think about. And then, then it becomes not just another two years of fellowship, which is just time, but it's also, are you going to uproot your family? Do you have a partner that's flexible enough that they're going to sacrifice aspects of their career to move and follow you? Are you going to do two years of really hard long distance? These are very hard questions. And I think, you know, at, if you are in a, in a serious partnership or have a family, you do have to think about that and make sure that your partner is on board with that too. Yeah, thanks so much for that. So for someone who just has a very basic understanding of what obstetrics and gynecology is about, can you take us through a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like? Um, I know your day-to-day probably changes every day, but maybe touch on the, the things that go on, the bread and butter cases. For sure, yeah. So a lot of office gynecology is uh, seeing prenatal patients. About half my day is seeing people and guiding them through pregnancy. And I really love that because you take, you maybe the chance to really educate people and teach them. And they've got tons of questions, lots of fears now. And anxiety is a, a quite a major theme now in our society. And you can help reassure people and guide them through difficult things. So we, so obstetricians can often either do just consultative care or they can do primary care. And in Langley, we do a mixture of the both. Um, primary care, you see people who are not necessarily high risk and you help see them throughout their whole pregnancy. But we also do a lot of consultations where they've developed complications in pregnancy, such as preeclampsia uh, or other conditions and help guide them through and provide advice at that point in time. We also see a lot of gynecology consults uh, and a lot of our stuff revolves around bleeding. We would look for cancers. We, we deal with, with a whole wide variety of gynecologic complaints that's there. Call to me is, is one of my favorite times. I would trade 
office for call any day. I've just, just come off a Friday, Sunday call. I've slept a grand total of maybe four or five hours for both those call shifts combined. I love it though. It's, you go to work, you see your, your team. These, the, this is your family. These are your nurses they, they, and everyone's there working together. We all complain and moan together about you know, the lack of staffing, everything else. You see patients um, that you've taken care of throughout their whole pregnancy uh, and you help guide them through it. And no matter what happens, whether they get into trouble, they need a cesarean section or a vacuum or something else, um, you see cool cases that come in through the emergency, you help fix things like miscarriages and ectopics. Call is fantastic other than the time constraints uh, that, that are there. And then same thing with surgery. Surgery days to me are are great because you are dedicated to the OR, you've got your surgical team, you know all your nurses, you know your anesthesiologists, and, you're, and at least in Langley, we always operate as a team with a, one of your fellow gynecologists. So it's often, you know, you're, you're, it's, I really emphasize the team nature of this. It's kind of like, it almost doesn't feel like work because you're going with one of your best friends to tackle and deal with a problem in a tactile way, using your skills to make a difference in someone, getting paid handsomely to do so. Um, and it, no, it just feels like a lot of fun for the most part. Uh, so those are that's how our typical days will will go, kind of rotating between those those various days. Thank you for that description, and I love that you called call fun. I'm gonna try to think of it that way. This <laughs> <laughs> is a word of warning. So the one thing, if I can take one advice, is that a lot of people go through their clerkship, and they do it at major academic hospitals. And I think that's a huge disservice. Uh, and one of the things I'm going to get students to do is don't just think about what you see from residents or what you see in major academic centers. Do your best to look beyond that and see what real physicians are doing. And what the big thing I, I see is that you know you come onto clerkship at these major hospitals and it feels like a war zone. You're, you're, you're running off your feet. You're, you're moving from patient to patient. You don't even know who people are. Uh, you're just trying to survive and, and triage. So it feels quite challenging. You miss out on so much of the, the, the what I treasure about my specialty. I delivered someone that I had walked through her whole pregnancy and dealt with all these concerns. And you're there for her for a very special moment. Um, and you don't get that longitudinal care that you, during your clerkship. So uh, I feel it's a big shame. And I, I wish more students had the opportunity to do spend some time outside of major urban centers and, and at least see what real people do. Yeah, that's a really great point. And so I'm wondering then when you settled in Langley, which is more of a community uh, kind of hospital, was that a conscious decision that you made at some point that you knew you wanted that versus an academic center? I think it's interesting. So I started my career in Kelowna because I wanted access to medical students. And I had a great opportunity there to meet a lot of other great educators, learn a lot of skills, uh, and make a difference that way. Ultimately, you have to find happiness beyond your career. My wife was miserable there, and the fit with my colleagues wasn't great there. So then I decided to, to pursue a different location. And that's one of the, the challenges of our field, right? You cannot easily control where you work, and also the colleagues that you work with. And you'll see that some sites have more politics than others. I am so fortunate to have my group in Langley. We're a group of seven obstetrician gynecologists. We all work out of the same office. We all assist each other at surgery. We all share patients. We cover each other for vacation. I can take two weeks of vacation anytime I want now without worrying about my practice. And that kind of flexibility is so treasured. Having people that you can come to with your worries, your concerns, that is just amazing and and the, the your your the quality of or the, your the caliber of your, your colleagues makes a big difference to your overall job satisfaction so something to think about
you mentioned something really interesting about teaching being really important and I, I maybe I misinterpreted it but I interpreted that drew you to Langley and um, having more some different educational aspects here with teaching students compared to Kelowna I think maybe if that was where you were getting at I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about teaching and and yeah where why you're you're passionate about uh, this this area I've always loved teaching and I've had the privilege of having amazing teachers through elementary school high school did a lot of tutoring when I was younger and, and to me that that seeing someone understand something and being able to explain something in a clear way that for me is what brings me joy and I see that not just with medical students but also in our practice I think medicine now is interesting you know people complain about the fact that people are doing their own research uh, you know, people bring the internet to their, their appointments, but realistically, patients should have a better understanding of their conditions. They should be able to ask questions. And I always tell my learners and my patients, I should be able to prove what I'm saying to you. I should be able to reference something. And, and now, you know, practice has changed. I, I see my patients opposite a 27-inch monitor. We're looking at guidelines together, looking at their reports. My patients all get copies of their consultations so they understand what I'm thinking or I'll type it in front of them. Um, so that education piece is really nice. As for medical education, there's so many different routes to go. And one of my personal weaknesses is I bounce between things too much. <laughs> I have too many different things, you know. Uh, and I, I really started enjoying medical, medical education even early on, even in residency, even in, in, in fourth year medical school. Once you become a senior clerk, there's going to be, you know, you're going to be, you're, you're always going to think that you know nothing because, you know, everyone has imposter syndrome going through medical school. But you know so much more. You've learned so many pearls in that first year, just surviving that first year of clerkship that you can pass on to your, your colleagues, your junior colleagues that's there. And same thing in, in residency too, it, that, you know, second years, they, you know a lot. You may not think that because you're low on the totem pole, but you've learned so much and you have so much wisdom to pass on. So I encourage everyone to, to include teaching as part of their, their practice and, and, even, and it also help you learn too. That's what keeps you up to date and fresh. Um, in a place like Cloning, the opportunity to do more direct teaching with students, and that's something I miss fairly dearly. I don't have the access to the same amount of residents or students I had in Kelowna. I've chosen to tailor my, my education uh, portfolio more towards, again, I've taken on the, the role of the Associate Program Director for the Undergraduate Medical Program for the Obstetrics and Gynecology aspect. Uh, so I'm trying that pathway. I've also been torn in different pathways in terms of quality improvement and, and, and working through that as well. So there's so many things you can do as a physician. It's amazing. You guys are going to be so happy once you get through this, this, this cruddy time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. That's very encouraging. Uh, I, I, I'm constantly amazed by how much you can change and tailor your career as you move along in medicine. Uh, I think that's very unique. And then just going back to something now that you mentioned right at the beginning about picking a specialty ultimately that it's not about what you can be good at because we could be good at anything but picking something you'd like so I wonder what advice do you give to medical students to go through their medical career before residency and, and make that informed decision for sure I think that's really important to talk about uh, on one hand, I'm going to tell you, you know, that you know, 90% of people get their, their, when their top three choices in CARMS, you'll find your way and, you know, you're going to be happy no matter what. 
And I'm going to call kind of bullshit on that. I'm going to scare the crap out of you guys for a second. <laughs> this is the most important decision you're going to make in your entire life. Treat it seriously. Just with the same dedication that you put into getting to medical school, I'm going to get you guys to, to think about what your, your career path is and how to optimize your chance of getting your best career options. I, I steal uh, a line from uh, a career expert, Ken Coleman, and he always talks about, you know, you, you need to find out what you do best to do work that you love and produce results that matter. So what that means is, first of all, you need to know what you do best. And that's sort of, you need to write down, what are my skills? What do I like doing? Am I great communicating? Am I great being a great team player? Do I love staying up at night? Am I great with my hands? And this is where you ask people who are close to you about what are my actual skills? And then you can start pairing it to potential specialties that you like. Just because you like a specialty, if you're not well suited to it, that may not work well for you. So really identify early on what your strengths are. Then you got to figure out what kind of work do I enjoy? Do I enjoy listening and, and being part and, and helping people? Do I like medically complex mysteries that are there? Do I like being in the operating room? Do I want to be the one responsible? Do, am I okay seeing life and death and making those life and death decisions? And that's where you figure out what is the work that you love? And that's sort of where you want to think that, am I going to be okay doing this 30 years down the road? Am I going to be okay being woken up at three o'clock in the morning to take care of this? And I'm going to be happy to see it. Um, and you need to start identifying that. Um, and then again, you want to identify what are results that matter to you? Who, who are the patients that you want to help? Do you want to be helping kids through, and maybe pediatrics is a good route for you? Do you want to be there along someone's dying moments and make sure that they get the best care possible? Um, that, that means a lot to people. And, and everyone has different populations and different results they find meaningful. So you need to really start focusing and getting to know yourself. So reflection is something that you know, we hate doing because we're, we're so used to just going, going, going and, and studying and doing your exams. But you've got to start reflecting and learning more about yourself. Moving on to that, then we go to the hard stuff. You know, the next part is, is you know, making sure that you are preparing for this Karma's process. And you, know, you want to make sure that you're clear in your decision about what, you, what you're considering. Then you want to get connected, and then you want to get qualified. So it's kind of that's stolen completely off Ken Coleman. I thought that's not for me. <laughs> so once you're clear of your decision about where you want to pursue, you want to get connected, and this is really important. You want to start asking and shadowing other physicians. You need to actually see: is this truly something that I'm interested in? And those connections also also help too, right? You know, you you can email other departments. For example, you, you're interested in obstetrics and gynecology. You want to email the program head or, or, the, or at a different different site and say, hey, look, can I be put in touch of a resident or a physician? I've got some questions. I love your program. And that will provide two main advantages for you. One is it helps you know that you're heading in the right direction. It also provides contacts for you if you're trying to pursue a elective. Um, doing blind electives, even though sometimes your system forces you to do that, is not a wise choice. One of the worst feelings in the world is going to an elective, realizing you don't mesh with your supervisor at all. And that was just a waste of your time, <laughs> one of your precious elections blocks. It also provides you with insight. So as you start writing your CARMS letters, what is this program known for? You know, just ask the residents and then put it into your letter because it shows us certain that you've actually thought and researched this program for you. And then finally, it's about getting qualified and that's really getting the skills. So if you're interested in a surgical specialty, you need to start buying a suture kit right now. You need to start working on those skills so you can impress when you're ready. Every elective is a job interview. You're there to perform, you're there to secure a reference letter. 
And you need to go in ready and prepared like this is a job interview. So know, you know, make sure you know what you're going to ask in a history, you know, study hard, really hard before your two or four weeks that are there and make sure you know who you're going to get a reference letter from uh, and get those reference letters early. So in the end, find what makes you happy. Don't be too scared. But I would say that make sure you are, you are, you know, this is a really important moment in your life. So do prepare hard for it. Thank you so much for all of those really valuable pearls. I feel like um, the CARMS process is just really shrouded in secrecy. Also, the, the career aspect part where we're supposed to be doing all this reflection, I feel like we're not doing it enough or I feel like people don't tell you how we should be reflecting properly over choosing a specialty. Um, I also I thank you for that part about sometimes you really enjoy a specialty but maybe your skills aren't really suited for that area and i feel like that also isn't really talked about enough so thank you for all of that really wise advice or terrifying but (laughs) (laughs) for us we're entering second year and clerkship feels like it's very far away but also not so far away do you have any advice for students who are entering clerkship for their third year Oh, that's so long ago. That's, so the problem is you're, you're, you're talking to someone who's a bit further out in, in his practice. Um, you know, I think in clerkship is the opportunity to get a sense of what you like. But also, you, you know, contrary to what I just said, you should also enjoy your clerkship. Uh, it's a chance to really see all kinds of different facets of medicine. This may be the last time you deliver a baby. It may be the last time, you know, you, you get a take part in a really cool surgery. I, remember, I still remember when my, my most amazing moments where I've got my finger on a hole of a, of a, of a heart that's bleeding because someone got stabbed in the heart. And that was like the most surreal moment watching these, these cardiovascular surgeons try to save this guy's life. Um, these are amazing moments, even seeing, you know, psychiatry and seeing some of the, the how, how serious some of the chronic diseases can be there. These, they help make you into a well-rounded person as well as physician. You gain a lot of insight into and, and a lot of empathy into a lot of different conditions that are there. Um, in terms of preparing for clerkship, again, prepare your, your support networks, even though it's not as hard as residency. It's funny because it, throughout your whole life, you're going to be like, oh, I can't possibly work harder than I did in the undergrad. Then you go to med school and you're, you're studying hard and then you can't be, can't possibly be as hard as clerkship. And you go to residence and you're like, man, clerkship was so easy. No responsibility. It's great. Um, so, you know, every, every step along the way has its own challenges that are there, but, you know, making sure your support networks are there that you guys create that group of supports and friends that you can talk to is really important. Prepare for each, each uh, clerkship rotation. It's amazing, but the, the, the most important, the best hour you can spend before every rotation is knowing what is a proper history, what is a proper physical examination, and why am I doing those, asking those questions and doing that physical examination. And that will get you through almost every single rotation. Um, and it amazes me how many students don't have the opportunity to review that before the rotations. So that's a, the one piece of advice you can take away. Great. Thank you for that advice. And I guess the theme here is that the next few years of training are just going to be difficult regardless of what you pick. And you mentioned a little bit about obviously making decisions, keeping your supports in mind. But I wonder how you've been able to kind of have that work-life balance, so to speak, uh, throughout your career and if that's changed or how you've come to now accommodating all your different kind of responsibilities and roles. 
I think one of the big myths about our specialty is the idea that this is going to be nearly impossible to run a family out of. Uh, and I actually argue that our specialty is one of the best at it. We're one of the few specialties that, surgical specialties that really encourage people to raise families throughout residency. Um, and our field has changed quite a bit. For example, I look at my group of seven doctors and a lot of them have young children. And they've, a lot of places are moving towards 12-hour call, um, and that's really helpful because you can actually be present for your family. Um, I take days off. You know, it, you're allowed to take days off. You're not going to starve. I don't work post-call clinics. I used to when I was younger, but I'm like, it's not worth it. You feel like crap after, and it, it just, it just, it's, it just takes such a toll on your body and your your relationships. It's just not worth it. If you get an easy day on call where you get lots of sleep, just enjoy your day. There, there's a, a great pleasure in walking around during the daytime with sunlight uh, where you don't have anything to do. It's actually incredible. You guys won't experience that for another decade or so, but, uh, but when you do, it's going to be great. So I think for me, just making sure that they're, they're realizing there is no end to the amount of work that, they're, that there's there. And I wrestle that all the time. I, I, I hear voices in my head saying, you know, look, why are you so lazy? Why are you not accomplishing all these things? And you just have to ignore that to a certain degree. I could run an extra clinic today or tomorrow, like why? But there's no end to the amount of work that you can do. So I think you have to be able to teach yourself that. Um, you need to actually focus on balance. Balance is not something that you just magically get. You need to, to figure out what is valuable to you and then allocate resources and time to achieving that balance or else it will just simply fall by the wayside because you're too tired. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not the best person. I've, my wife would tell me, tell you that I've got the worst balance and I'm horrible at it because I, I still give patients my cell phone sometimes. I will come in on days off for no reason. So <laughs> I'm a bad example. You made some really great points about the work never stopping, but you're, you're still here trying to achieve balance um, even if you are coming in on your days off. I wanted to ask something uh, out of personal interest. So you are a male uh, in a, you are male in a specialty that is focused um, largely to, uh, on female reproductive health and pregnancy. Um, we're wondering how was training as a male in obstetrics and gynecology and have you experienced, I guess, any uncomfortable situations and how, how do you deal with that? I mean, I think that's a common question that a lot of students ask and I feel a lot of male medical students choose not to even consider this specialty because of that. I think when you're a younger learner, a junior learner, like a clerk, it is hard because you're going to get a lot more opportunities where you're going to have people who are going to decline having you present or involved in their care. And it's very hard to not take it personally because you know, like I am just as dedicated, if not more so than, than the other clerks that are there. Um, and it's, it's not a personal judgment against you. And I think it's really important to have some empathy and know that you don't know that person's background, whether they've experienced abuse, there's ethnic background issues that are there. I always reassure people, you will still get all the skills you need uh, as a male in, in, in this field. Second thing, as you get further along in residency, it, it becomes less important because you become more helpful, more essential to someone's care. Um, so I think you get declined less and less. As a staff person, once you come out, it doesn't affect you at all. Like, there is an infinite amount of work out there uh, that needs to be done. And for the most part, the, you know, if you actually take a look at who are the you know, who are highly regarded as, as obstetricians in, in the Lower Mainland, you're gonna see a lot of them are male. Um, 
And a lot of people, you know, I think people overestimate how many women actually care. They, the women are just looking for proper care and someone who's actually going to listen and guide them through things. They don't care whether you're, you're male or not for the most part. Um, so no, it, it really doesn't affect me in any way. So I think that's, that's the message I would get out there. It seems daunting and it's frustrating as a medical student, but it doesn't preclude you from having a great career or mastering your skills in a specialty. Thanks for that really honest answer. And now kind of a question I was curious about because I'm thinking about the one class uh, that we had with you and you brought on a family physician as well as a midwife. So I'm curious how kind of obstetrics is, or I guess this is more the obstetric side, how it's kind of practiced. Uh, you mentioned it's heavily kind of a team activity, I guess. And so how does that kind of affect your practice and, and what parts do you like or dislike about that? I love the team aspects. Like interdisciplinary care is really important to me. And once you find a hospital to work at, we are a team. Midwives are under our department. And we do training sessions through a program called Moral B, where we do drills together. We take, I'm taking, for example, the neonatal resuscitation program class with a bunch of midwives as well. Because you have to have that clear communication and trust between the various members that are there. Um, and you have to be able to work and get along with people. It's just, it's just an important part that's there. And understand where people are coming from. I think, unfortunately, midwives get a lot of pushback and, and dislike from a lot of the obstetricians because they have difficult clients. There are, I do not envy them with the clients that they have. And they often see some, more, some of the more of the extreme um, people with, with more extreme wishes that are out there and you can't abandon patients. Um, so no, but they, they are very much a part of the team. We share all the same resources. We share patients, you know, two of the deliveries I had last night were with midwives and they were excellent and there for their patients through the whole way. And, they, and it's important to acknowledge everyone has their own skill set. I cannot help someone with a baby afterwards. I'm like, okay, good luck. Try not to let your baby die, you know? <laughs> um, whereas a midwife is there, they see their, they see their patients at home. Like, good luck finding a physician who's going to come see you at home in the middle of the night helping you with breastfeeding, right? Family doctors provide that longitudinal care that is so valuable. So I think acknowledging the strengths of other people in your department are really key. But we're all there together. Like Even throughout all my call shifts, I'm sitting with the family doctor, sitting with the midwife, sitting with all the nurses at the nursing station, just chatting and, and getting through things. So you have to be able to work uh, in a team in this, in this field. Thanks so much for describing... Um the team-based care that's that currently exists. Um, I'm really curious about what practice actually looks like as an obstetrician gynecologist. Is it, so are you, you mentioned you're a part of a group practice. I'm not sure in Canada if there's private practice and how that looks. Is it, are you like half in the hospital, mostly in the hospital? What does it look like, especially if you work in, with a interdisciplinary team? I think we are typically half in the hospital, uh, especially in a, in a more community site where there's only seven of us. Uh, in fact, in some communities where there's only two or three obstetrician gynecologists, you, you rotate between only a very short roster. I think if you're in a more urban center, you typically have fewer call shifts just because the group is so much larger. So you spend a lot more time in your office and you also don't have as much access to operating room time. So that, that balance is shifted if you're in an, in an academic center. Um, and I've lost the train of thought. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm quite tired. <laughs> what was the part of that part of that part of that question, Crystal? Should have had more than a couple hours of sleep before this. <laughs> it's all right. I think I was just curious what uh, 
if you're working in an interdisciplinary team, like how that looks, office, hospital, is there private practice? I have no idea what it looks like. Oh yes, private practice. So there are private practice gynecologists out there. Um, everyone has their bias. Um, and, and private practice can mean different things. For example, our fertility clinics are generally private practice and they provide such a valuable service for a lot of people. Um, I am still a very big believer in the Canada Health Act. I am not someone who likes private practice. Uh, so I'm quite biased that way. It also has a bad reputation because there are some physicians who will choose to offer services that I don't fully agree with, things like labiaplasties and vulvoplasties. Um, people are, this is, a, this, is a, this is a vulnerable field where people don't, feel, they don't know enough, they're scared, they don't feel normal. Um, and sometimes they can get preyed upon to, to feel bad about themselves and then choose procedures where they potentially could have horrific complications that lead to a lot of pain and discomfort afterwards. Uh, so that part of the private practice, I really frown upon. And one of my favorite things to ever be ever bored and you're, you're on a, a private computer is Google the labial library. I love showing this to patients. This is a, a group of volunteers that have show, allowed their vulvas to be photographed. Um, and I love showing it to people to show that there's a huge variety in how we look. Like I hate to break at you. We're, like, despite being in medicine, we're not typically movie stars or pretty people. <laughs> so, and most people aren't. So it's nice, nice for people to just realize that they are, they are normal. And you know, a lot of people are, compare themselves to pornography because that's their only, it's generally really the only opportunity they have to see a vulva. Um, and that leads to really misleading ideas of what it should be. Um, so I, I personally don't love private practice, but I understand it has a role. Yeah, thanks for providing that kind of insight because, yeah, I guess we don't hear that much about the private practice, I guess, realities of medicine out there. And, and like you said, it's, it's important, I guess, as physicians to know what's out there, of course. And one area that you mentioned you have an interest in is family planning. And I'm wondering how much of that you're able to incorporate into your day-to-day kind of care and, and how that kind of factors in uh, as a generalist in Obsgein. Ob- Family planning was a, is, is, remains a big part of my life. Um, you know, when I talk about going into this field and finding results that matter, one thing that drew me to the field is actually when I was younger, one of my friends underwent an abortion. And part of that, I had no clue, first of all, what that meant. Um, and I could see the difference it made to her life. And I think that was really important to me. Um, throughout medical school, there's also a good group, Medical Students for Choice, for people who are interested, who surround you with, with passionate people who, who really are interested in providing full comprehensive reproductive care to women. And I think that was really influential as well. Um, so when I went through my residency, I sought out extra training in family planning. There's actually a uh, unofficial, not, not recognized fellowship uh, at, at UBC for family planning now. Uh, to do more advanced terminations if necessary. Um, when I started out my career, I started out in Kelowna, so I became the medical director of the abortion clinic that was there. Um, and that was actually a very eye-opening experience for me. Um, being in a, in a fairly secular, you know, growing up in, in Vancouver, which is fairly secular, and you know, people are, are fairly relaxed about it, uh, it was going, going to Kelowna was very eye-opening. And I knew that, you know, for example, even today, there is no local provider in Kelowna. We fly abortion providers up to Kelowna every single week. Um, and entering a town that had people who weren't necessarily 
wanting your presence there was also very interesting as well. And finding out that not all physicians are as pro-choice as they perhaps could be was, was interesting. So, you know, we would get bomb threats. I'd get, you know, a nasty letter written to me every, every year or so. So that was kind of interesting. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. Moving back to, to Langley, I've spent some time at the Elizabeth Bagshaw Clinic um, and, and determinations up to 18 weeks there. I've actually not done uh, uh, abortion care for the last two years. And that's kind of for, for two reasons. Not because, again, I think it's really important. Uh, one is actually because we're winning. We are now more than ever better able to educate our youth and women about what is reliable contraception. So you know, it's, that's, that's really important. We are now providing free IUDs to women and that's made a huge difference to the abortion numbers which are falling drastically. And that point becomes really important to concentrate the surgical skills into a few select people. Because again, experience matters and, and volume matters. And if I'm only doing a procedure 10 or 15 times a year, my skills are going to fall. And in, in abortion care, we do not tolerate anything other than perfection, nor should we. Um, so I've chosen to abandon that aspect uh, because I also couldn't dedicate one day a week or a half day a week to, to the Bagshaw Clinic, uh, which I miss a lot because the team there is amazing, full of really passionate people that are there. But I'm glad that people are still getting the care that they need. And I think if there's ever a moment where I felt people were not getting the care, I'd be happy to step in again. It was really interesting, I think, when you talking about uh, when you talk about keeping your skills uh, up to up to par, up to a certain level. How do you maintain your skills um, after residency? So you mentioned you have to do a procedure for at least once a week, or what does that look like? Ah, that's that's a great question, and that's a question that all the educators and all the residency programs are looking at. Is this idea of competency? Um, one of my favorite lectures I give residents is uh, is on how to get the most out of a surgical education. Um, and I always start that off by saying, I graduated from my residency program a below average surgeon. And no one ever says that. That's like just mind blowing to people. I hate to break it to you. Half of you guys will be below average med students too. <laughs> and maybe you are. There's two of you guys here. Uh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, and, and again, if, if I was thinking about what kind of inspiring message I'd pass on to you guys at the end of today, but I will tell you that, you know, this year has been a dumpster fire and you, your whole generation will not be defined by this year. It feels that way because your whole, like your, your, your one quarter of your med school experience has been ruined. But no, what, you know, when you graduate, that is not the end of your journey. You, it's, it's really the, where you end up is based upon the, the skills that you learn, the work ethic and the desire to improve. Um, so that has way more to do with where you end up than where you, when you leave residency. And I think the biggest thing in terms, in terms of maintaining competency is I think you have to be more conscious about it. And one of the things I always teach residents is you have to reflect. Just experiencing something is worthless if you don't reflect upon it. You will not learn anything. So taking advantage of each opportunity, deciding what you did well, what you could do better, and what you're going to do differently next time. And we do that as part of our team-based environment at Langley. For example, I had a, a difficult vacuum into a, a stat section under general anesthetic last night. We spent 15 minutes after us as a team debriefing everything and talking about what we could have done better um, and analyzing it. Because if you don't, if you don't if you, once you fall into a routine where you're constantly reevaluating your skills, that's how you get better. And that's the nice thing working with great colleagues after each surgery that we do, we sit down and we say, hey, what went well? What, what, what did I learn from this case? 
Uh, and that's how you really refine your surgical skills. Um, surgical competency is a huge issue in academic centers where you only get to operate and do a hysterectomy 10 times a year. Um, and then residents are also doing it for you. So it's really hard to maintain that, that competency. So there's a bigger emphasis on making sure that existing physicians can, can do that. Uh, and that's where I'm privileged to at least have, have lots of operating room time. I've done, I don't know, probably six hysterectomies this past month. And a lot of other specialists don't have that opportunity in operating room time. So I'm very thankful to have that. And so just for the last question, you've really given us a ton of advice in this episode, but we were curious, what advice would you give yourself when you were in medical school? I think just be kind to yourself, right? I think, you know, you've had some speakers who've alluded to that. You know, many of us suffer from from mental illness or, or other difficult times in your life. And I think just giving yourself grace and knowing that every, everyone's journey follows a different path and you will generally get there in the end. Um, and yeah, just be kind to yourself, right? So I'm someone who's always been very self-critical. I always used to go in with the mantra that you should never be happy of yourself <laughs> because you'd always strive to do better. And that's a tendency a lot of students have. Um, so I would say, yeah, just, just give yourself grace. Great. And that brings us to the end of our episode. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Ng. This has really been a really eye-opening conversation and learning more about the field and the differences between where you want to practice. And so we really appreciate that. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. For more episodes of Metamorphosis, look for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, take care, and catch you on the next one. Okay, so I'm talking here. Oh, I know why. It's probably because... This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 